Dr. James Sommer is potentially someone who needs no introduction, but just in case, he's the founder of Somex, the health tech agency, he writes for Forbes, and he's also the host of the Health Tech Podcast, the biggest podcast in this space with listeners in over 100 countries. Before we started recording, I said, James, can you tell your story, but really pick out all the learning opportunities and tidbits of advice, and he definitely delivers. There's loads of great stuff on forging your own career path as a doctor, creativity, and personal branding. I'll let him tell you his story, but I loved doing this interview. And if any of those things are up your street, I think you'll enjoy it too. Can you tell me a little bit about your story from medical school um, to how you got to where you are today? Yeah, sure. Mate. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, so it's, yeah, it was a, a bit of a wild ride, mate, to be honest. I started off obviously just being a junior doctor and and trying to find time to uh do the day job and and model your way through and and all the rest of it but it it became a, a apparent to me pretty quickly that you can you can exist in the in the health system and, and be a doctor but to make a change you've got to do even more than that you've got to figure out what the systems need you've got to do loads of kind of what I suppose we would call extracurricular or quality improvement or all these different things to try and to try and get things done and I think that's what I ended up doing I started doing quality improvement projects which basically meant you'd spot a problem with the system and try and change it and that went really well for me because it gave me this kind of purpose because not only was I treating patients and getting joy from doing things that way I was then fixing the system which I saw was really the limiting factor because it was a case of you've got all the brightest minds you've got all the hardest workers you've got everybody in this system that just wants to do really really well for their patients but they're limited by a system that means they can only treat certain amounts of people because of all these different things whether it's admin issues too much paperwork or staffing issues you know all these different problems right all the technology and and computers that take a day and a half to load up when you turn them on and all that sort of stuff so I started gradually fixing those things I started off with a printer there was a printer that didn't work and I was just tenacious enough to make sure it did after weeks. And that gives you that little buzz and that little high that you managed to fix something. And all of a sudden people aren't queuing for the one printer in the hospital that works. They're actually able to do way more than that. And you start to see that by fixing these little things that, that really block people's day, you can make a big difference. And I suppose I graduated from fixing printers to then I don't know following blood cultures around hospitals to see what actually happens to this thing is there any way that I can speed this up because they're meant to come back in 48 hours for blood culture negative and, and all that sort of stuff when I was on the innates and they didn't they took ages and ended up on these journeys to write business cases because I then figured out if actually you're going to make a change there needs to be a financial case behind it and not that I loved finance or anything like that but I figured out that in order to get things done in that in that way, you had to make a financial argument. So I shadowed someone in the finance department. I learned how to write a business case. I got her to work with me on a few different bits. And together, we wrote some business cases for things and presented them to chief execs and got things done and leasing new blood culture analyzers. Not that I thought I'd be doing that in my F2, but that was the sort of stuff that I was talking about. And so... The reason I'm spending so long explaining that is is because essentially that gave me the, the tools to then do what I do now. It gave me this tool set of, of, of learning that just because you're in a system, 
and it operates the way it does does not mean that's the way the system needs to be despite what people may say people say that's the way it's always been and therefore it needs to always be this way it's never going to change well actually it can you you just need to be tenacious enough and you need to have that vision and 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 dream big right i mean to to be a bit cheesy with it but um and that and that's what i ended up doing afterwards so what did what did i do after um med school so i yeah i started coming across policy as a barrier quite often so a lot of these quality improvement projects needed policy to change or policy be an excuse like oh, the, the policy says this or the policy says that and i was like well let me go and learn policy and see if like this is just nonsense or not and it and it turns out about 50 century so the policy is a barrier policy can change though um but more important than that, you can understand policy. You can understand the levers and the drivers behind policy. You can learn what the five-year forward view is, who writes it, why they write it, what recommendations mean, who reads recommendations, how to influence those policy documents, how to get in them, how to then influence the recommendations. So you can there's there's ways to use and leverage policy. So I worked at Health Education England. I got on um if your audience knows what this is but the there's a faculty of medical leadership and management and they have a, a leadership scheme um it used to be the bruce keogh or national medical directors thing but he obviously left whatever it's called now um but anyway they take 30 doctors and they spread them across the cqc nhs england health education england blah, blah, blah. so i worked at health education england for a year um and did a lot of workforce stuff and they they do a lot of workforce planning and and you know finger in the wind like what's dermatology gonna look like in 20 years like how many dermatologists do we need to train because obviously there's a backlog of how many medical students you put in the placements and then how many you train blah, blah blah so we did a lot of that sort of stuff i was doing a lot in primary care and urgent emergency care and a bit of technology and 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 all that side of things anyway but learned policy i then did a bit at nhs england so i met tony young in funny circumstances, different story perhaps, but um, met Tony Young and ended up doing a bit of work for him. So that's obviously in the NHS in England Innovations team, which was cool. Um, and then I kind of had this skill set of knowing a bit. Of, I was jack of all trades in innovation, if there is such a thing. Um, I'd, I'd obviously learned the ground floor of medicine. I'd learned the policy and that side of things. Um, and so what I ended up doing was then joining an accelerator and for people that don't know what an accelerator is it's a program that helps companies be better at something essentially normally startups normally early stage companies and accelerators can either take a fee or equity normally equity and they will provide something and provide support so i joined one that they were just setting up at the time called the digital health.london accelerator that was a program that helped sort of series a companies so you might have raised about a million pounds or something like that to, to, on an idea or a technology and it helped companies that were in that sort of zone and it helped them get into the nhs and so it fitted my skill set perfectly they were launching it out of guys and sir thomas's hospital which was linked to the the west uh, the um the, the health innovation network the the south london hsn it was a collaboration of all the hsn so it was a very nhs centric product uh, uh, program um and product i suppose uh so yeah but but it was good it was great they um they they took me on as something called a navigator so although i was part of what you call i suppose the founding team i was a navigator kind of like an account manager so i was looking after 10 startups so i had people like perfect ward who were doing like uh 
um yeah you're nodding you know them um so they do like a an inspections tool which is now scaled right across the nhs i had i, I had loads of companies on there. echo have been on there meadowpad have been on there they you know babylon have even been on there so loads of people have been on that accelerator but it was a, a really cool journey because i was there for six months jenny the program director then left to go on maternity leave so i got promoted to run the program so ran the program for a year after that so i saw 61 startups go through that um we got 50 pilots and contracts in the nhs raised about 30 million pounds of following funding with them um yeah 48 million pounds saved for the nhs and projects like all this sort of stuff so really cool experience to learn the startup side of it so i really learned and understood why and how startups think the way they do and act the way they do and so i understood the pressures of startups and so at this point i kind of feel like i've got a lot of different skill sets and i understand and i really liked the the startup technology aspect of it and how that can change a health system and so i then met a guy called alex and we set up our own accelerator which was called hs which became hs ventures that was a venture builder so we built deep technology companies out of young entrepreneurs um, and techies and all that sort of stuff which was cool so we did that for a couple of years we ended up partnering with charities like orthopedic research uk and investing with them into early stage companies so we did loads of cool stuff on there um, but in the meantime i also started more media stuff so i write for forbes on health tech and i've got the health tech podcast which is listened to in I think 105 different countries as we sit here today uh, talking to entrepreneurs and leaders in health tech. So got involved in loads of media and as a result of everything I've learned, to cut a long story short now, I've now got a comms PR marketing company specifically for health tech called Somex. And that is essentially what I do <laughs> now. So a very long-winded um, answer to your original question. So it sounds like from medical school, there wasn't a master plan. It all happened quite organically. What I'd say is I always followed what I enjoyed. I never had a, an idea of what I, I you, you could never have told me at, <laughs> at 18, you'll have a PR company in uh, 33. Like what? Like, it's ludicrous. Like, I would never have thought that. I think what I, what I did was followed what I enjoyed day to day whenever i made a career move or a career change or a life move or a life change i tried to improve it in some way shape or form from a career perspective it was more taking out something i didn't enjoy and putting in something i did so choosing to not do audits for the sake of audits and instead choosing to shadow a finance person on my study leave and shadow the chief exec on my study leave and write a business case, even though it got me no points on my, um, you know, for reg applications and things like that, or SHO applications and things like that was my choice because I enjoyed it. And I think that's, that's my advice and what I would say to people, which is don't go chasing points and all that sort of stuff it's not actually the destination that you want to go to i think people really underplay the value of a medical degree they undervalue the uh the, the, um, a medical career you know i did five years as a doctor i almost to the hour got ten thousand hours under my belt which means i'm comfortable saying i was a doctor I can speak with authority on what it's like to give anesthetics. Um, 
and, and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, I mean, in that story somewhere, by the way, I became an anaesthetist. So I did anaesthetics. Um, so I did, that's where I did my, uh, my SHA training, a core anaesthetics training. I also, at some point in there, did a degree in education as well. So I did that at, um, at UCL because I enjoyed teaching. And that was, that's another thing, right? I enjoyed teaching. So in my kind of F3, I, I did a teaching degree, which it was clinical education at the UCL Institute of Education. Um, really specific to healthcare, really specific to teaching healthcare. And yeah, just really enjoyed it. And because of that, I I did a lot of teaching in my spare time as a, as a doctor and, and all that sort of stuff. But that has led me to be a better communicator. It's led me to be able to um, bring complex problems and, and concepts and drill them down into simple things, which allows me to be a better communicator, which helps me with public speaking, helps me with all these different things. And so you never really know as you go through your career, I suppose, what it's going to become. I think the best thing that you can do and what you owe yourself is following what you enjoy. Because if you take joy from spending time doing something, you will become great at it. And I think that's what I've I've really learned. You know, when I came out of the two accelerators, you know, we were coming you know, to our second year of, of, of HS and I was looking at what I enjoyed and auditing my life, so to speak, and saying, you know, where do I enjoy spending my time? Where do I have energy? Where, what do I enjoy putting my time towards? And I sort of woke up and noticed like, hey, hold on, you you started writing for Forbes and you've got a podcast which has just crept up to 105 different countries where people listen to this thing. Maybe comms is the future here. You're already giving advice to companies on communicating and content and all that sort of stuff i listen to gary v like there is literally no tomorrow and i enjoy most of what he says about 90 percent of what he says so and all those types of things right so everything was telling me here's what i'm good at here's where i enjoy spending my time i'm already advising on that basis so actually let's audit my life and make a change here let's actually focus on that and it's crazy you know when you when you make a shift like that things just fall into place a bit more and I liken it to even spending that time following that blog culture around the hospital. It, it made absolutely no sense for me to do that on a day off. Like it made absolutely no sense for me to do it. And everybody was like, what are you like? What are you doing? And blah, blah, blah. But it felt for me a really good thing. You know, it felt like I was learning something and I didn't know the payoff at the time, but I knew that something clicked because I enjoyed it. And it was, it was fun for me. Weirdly, it was more fun for me solving the problem and actually writing the business case and seeing people get on board with leasing a new blood culture analyzer like that's it that was important to me uh, not that it ended up happening in the end for a few different reasons but again i learned something through that because actually at that end you know <laughs> there's a lot of politics um and all that sort of stuff but the point was and the point i'm trying to make is that by auditing your life and finding out where you enjoy putting your time and your energy you can really make a, a a really positive change and a big difference into, into where you're going. And I think that's a really important thing to do. I think for, for people in, in medicine, it's key. Um, there's so much you can do that doesn't always appear obvious, but if you're even slightly unhappy or you, you know, for me, it was signs. You didn't want me as your doctor at three in the morning, treating your grandmother. You'd, I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to be doing that. That's not why, how I wanted to be spending my time. Um, but the point is, I, I took all these as signs, right? I Even in my last year of anaesthetics, you know, I'd be on call and, I don't know, 
an appendix comes in and instead of me just sitting chilling or whatever I was doing building whatever website I was building at the time I then had to go and deliver an an anesthetic and I would have preferred sitting there <clears throat> building my website for my like drop shipping thing whatever the hell I was doing at that point mm-hmm. um but it was it was a case of following the energy and figuring out that a change needs to happen so you're in this kind of unique position now where you have this um you know multifaceted unique career path um and your day probably looks very different to a lot of doctors. What are the what are the pros and cons of making your own career like you have done? Okay, so I think there's there's all there's always going to be pros of it, right? Because you've been the one to drive it and you've been the one to create it. So inevitably, if you have if you've changed your career such that you have more variety go you probably enjoy the variety but similarly that's not for everybody you know people often ask me or, or they they mention success and they say you're so successful and I don't feel successful because I, I always feel that success is when you get to the point that you're happy or that you've you don't need to make any more changes or any of those things but what I've learned is that even that's a moving target I don't think you ever get there and so it's about enjoying the journey as they say and all that sort of stuff but I think that for people that enjoy the variety, having a a variable career will be a pro. For those that don't, it will be a con. So I think for those that absolutely love being a GP, be a GP and don't feel any pressure to do anything else. For those that absolutely love being a GP and doing management and doing teaching and doing research and doing all those things, don't feel that you should be a GP and only a GP, like feel that you can do all that stuff. I think be guided by what you enjoy doing and where you enjoy spending your time and really appraise that, you know, really, really go deep into that. You know, I, I, I do it so regularly, just thinking even within the company that I've got now, what do I actually enjoy doing of the bits of the company and which bits do I ignore? Like, and, and there's a very practical way that I do this, which is I look at what's at the bottom of the to-do list. So I look at what, you know, there's, everyone's got those things on the to-do list that literally, if you haven't got it done in lockdown, when you are literally just sat doing absolutely nothing, if painting your front room is still on your to-do list after four months in lockdown or whatever, being, like clearly you need to just hire a painter. <laughs> like clearly that's what you need to do. Um, and so I do that in my company, in my life, right? I look at what's at the bottom of the to-do list, both practically and metaphorically and, and just think, okay, well, I need to make a change here. But similarly, the things that you're just smashing out at the top of the to-do list that might not be that important, those are the bits you enjoy doing. And actually those are the bits that you should double down on because you'll probably excel if you do those all the time. So, um, yeah, pros and cons, there are no cons if you enjoy it. I think that the, it, it's self-awareness and, and learning what you enjoy by auditing those things to, to figure out if, if uh, portfolio career is right for you. That's some really cool advice. And I'm curious because I often speak to people like you who are way down the line. And I think that kind of advice is amazing because you're in this awesome position. But then how can someone who's, you know, a late, a late stage medical student, an F1 doctor, how can they apply that like uh, that stuff about auditing their life because they don't have much control over what they're doing? I so I disagree, right? So if um, okay, so take a final year medical student, you go to placement, you 
revise your exams. You have plenty of time to do other things, right? If you've started a podcast, if you've got a YouTube channel, if you enjoy absorbing Gary V's content, if you you know if figure what are you doing with the with the time that you're not in doing that stuff? Because there's that person, there's also the person that is reading extra stuff, spending extra time in the hospital because they want to be a neurosurgeon and they absolutely love it. And there's that person. There's the other person who isn't fortunate to do any of that and they have to look after their mum or their dad. There's so many variables here, but I would I would figure out how are you spending the time that you're not revising medicine or doing medicine or in absorbing medicine? Because that gives you an inclination of the other things that you could excel at. And I was always into technology. I was always into like the early days of social media and, but more just kind of new and innovative stuff. I was always keen to try out new and innovative stuff, but similarly problem solving. And even in, and what used to really annoy me and looking back, right, even as a final year medical student, what used to really annoy me was people getting annoyed, but not contributing a solution just talking about problems just constantly moaning about problems and that would annoy me i look back now there's nothing wrong with doing that it's how people decompress but i was different because i wanted to i wasn't ever content just talking about the problem i, I wanted the solution that makes me in inverted commas entrepreneurial i suppose or an innovator i suppose or whatever like define it however you like it just means that i i enjoy and i take I, I'm fueled by finding the solution to the problem rather than just talking about the problem. Other people are content talking about the problem. That makes them feel better. They find a community in that and on all the rest of it. But yeah, so that's how I figured out or had the early inklings of or inclinations of this is probably where I'm going to go. It then just meant when I was in F1, fortunately for me, my first placement was liaison psychiatry, which is just a DOS, right? You just don't really do much. Like you genuinely, you, you, you sit in an office for a long time, not really doing much. And when you aren't a senior doctor, you don't have a lot of the backlog to clear in that time and, and reviews to do and all that sort of stuff. So actually it's basically a permanently on-call job as well. So there is a lot of downtime. So I was able to twiddle my thumbs and just walk around the hospital and just help people and figure out like what, what actually needs to be done here. And, 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 again like I didn't plan to do that I just followed what I actually wanted to do and what I enjoyed so yeah that that's what I'd say dude it's about it's about figuring out how you spend the time that you're not forced to do certain things double down and excel so you've had this hugely successful podcast and I'm curious about your advice for medics who want to start or are working on a creative endeavor um, what have you learned from doing what you've done? The main thing I would say is don't run before you can walk. That's the main thing. I think by look, what, what, with the podcast, I never thought the podcast was going to be big. I never thought that it was going to be particularly listened to. I didn't set out with those as expectations. Uh, we, you know, we, we originally, I didn't even want to do the podcast, quite frankly. I, it was a waste of my time. Like, I just thought, ugh, like, really? Like, a, another thing on my plate to a podcast? Because it started as the HS podcast. So um, when we were running HS, Alex and I started it. It just turns out that I super enjoyed it and then just carried it on and, and, and it became its own thing. But when we originally started it, 
I, I just didn't want to do it. The only reason I ended up doing it was because I set it up so that we we would win when we didn't have any listeners. So we set it up going, what can we achieve out of this podcast? Well, actually, we can connect with a load of different health tech startups. We can pull out some leadership messages, some entrepreneurial messages. We can pull out some technology messages. We can talk about the system. But we can learn from listening to those conversations ourselves. So if nobody else listens to this podcast, I have had an hour-long conversation a week with an expert in health tech, and I am going to learn something. And that was the that was the premise of doing it. And I think because that was the mindset and because that was the curiosity that I led with, it, it was never self-serving. It was never built to be, I want to be Joe Rogan and exit for 100 million. Like it was never built for that. It wasn't even built for, I want to be the next big thing and people recognize me down the street and I want to say that I've got a million listeners and like, like it, it was never built to do that stuff. And frankly, the, the podcast market is getting saturated very, very, very quickly. And people, your, your listeners will know this. They listen to this podcast for a reason. They're looking for insights. They're not looking to be sold anything. No one's going to listen to a podcast where a business is just selling. And I, and I think that extends to individuals too. If you're just there trying to pump your own ego and just like talk about yourself and and all the rest of it, like, like really what are you going to achieve by doing that? I think if you have a genuine intention to add value to a community of listeners and a genuine intention, if that needs to be your actual intention, then you're going to come across genuine. People are going to listen to you for a reason. I think that's i think that's how it's grown if i had if i had to guess i think and as you get a bit of momentum the guests start to improve people start reaching out to you and all that sort of stuff but ultimately if if i wasn't getting the chief digital officer or technology officer of novartis you know you know if i wasn't getting those people the ceo of ge healthcare interviewed the other day for like asia pacific like it's mad but the point is, like, if I wasn't getting those people and I was still interviewing matey down the road who's just thought of, like, the next big health tech idea and he's going to build this, like, circuit board in his garage and then stick it on something else and build a wearable, like, I would still talk to that person because I still, I'm still curious about that. I still enjoy that hour of speaking to that person. And by speaking to them, I'm still just going to try and pull out some messages that I can learn something. It just so happens that people want to listen to that. And so that would be my advice. Like really, really question your motives and your intentions and what you're looking to get out of it and reverse engineer that. Because if you're looking to be well-known, if you're looking to, but which is fine, by the way, like there's no judgment here. If you're looking to be well-known for something, yeah, if, if, it might not be that a podcast is the best way to do it right now. It might be if you if if you have the right intentions and you can build a community and all the rest of it, or you're a comedian, or you make it extremely hilarious or enjoyable and entertaining. But if it's something within medicine, like you're going to be adding value to someone, aren't you? So whether that's communicating to the public, and I suppose here's another bit of advice, right? Think about who who the listeners are and really appeal to that because if you've got quite a 
a podcast that's all over the place and it gives some like really medicalized language and speaks to medical students but at some point you're also talking to patients and you're trying to give like public service announcements of like public health and then in another bit you're trying to like give recommendations to startups and and healthcare systems it can get a bit messy right i think one thing that i was always clear on was that this was going to add value to early stage entrepreneurs and that can be people that are entrepreneurial that are interested that might be in the health tech space doing something else that are that interested in entrepreneurship but it was always going to be around those early stage entrepreneurs and because I think a lot of people in, still enjoy those messages, even if you're not an early stage entrepreneur, you can be an aspiring early stage entrepreneur, or you can just be interested in entrepreneurship. I think there's there's lots of there's lots of ways to be interested in that. And so if you do listen to the podcast that I do, that I, I off, you'll hear me often pulling out the messages around entrepreneurship a lot. But the other one, directly from our feedback, is that I pull out messages on careers. Everyone's got a career. Everyone wants to hear from people that have done well in a career. And so I pull out messages around how and why people moved in their careers to get to where they are, because it's actionable advice. It is advice that people can often just take verbatim and just do something with. So people will will give really, really, really practical steps of how they got to where they are, because that's always what I've been interested in, right? Whether it's solving the blood culture problem or whether it's getting somewhere in a career, how did you actually do that? And it always comes down to two things, which is hard work and luck. It always does. And someone said on my podcast the other day, there's a there's a golfer that, that at some point said, it's funny, the more I practice, the luckier I get. And it's, you know, gems like that that I get from <laughs> interviewing people on the podcast. You know, not that I got the guy directly said the quote, although I'd like to one day, I suppose. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so, so the the point is add, add value to a community genuinely have that intention to add value to a community start small setup so that you win when nobody's listening um is this for 17 weeks nobody listened 17 weeks man nobody listened except my mom and even she probably didn't listen to most of it like that you, you can't expect to come out the gates just usain bolt you've gotta you've gotta just start small and and, and work your way up because I'm sure the you know the production value of those early podcasts was rubbish. The, the probably my interview style wasn't great. Like th- there was loads that I learned along that journey, right? And what better to start small than with your mates and people that you already know um, to to build that traction and, and build your own skill set and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, loads of lessons. I really like your philosophy, and I think the two parts of it that really appeal to me are to win when nobody's listening. Mm. and also just to have a clear value proposition for your audience as well. I think those are two really interesting things. I'm curious about this from a personal standpoint, but I think it could apply to someone who's starting a YouTube channel, a podcast, writing, whatever. How do you, when you put yourself out there, how do you balance between being professional, but then also between giving a bit of personality and a bit of interest as well? Like, How have you managed those two things? Good question. Um, and it, it it's not something you get right all the time. It's something that you have to learn and you find the boundary, I think. You know, th- there's one school of thought, which is just be fully yourself, just come out saying and doing whatever you want, right? Which is okay, it's fine, but it's going to restrict your opportunity in, in some avenues if you take 
take Gary Vaynerchuk, you know, if you, if you swear all the time, you know, he's told constantly, he says by people, you're blocking out a huge part of your audience potentially by doing that. But he says, I have to communicate authentically. And I think that's just it, right? You find your way of communicating authentically. I think as you go on in your career and as you get older, you less need to communicate in a way that appeases others. And I think that is just a function of time and in some ways confidence, but uh, you, you you have to move to the center of a community of practice before you can then influence it. And in order to move to the center of it, you have to conform to the principles of that community. When you're in the middle, you can start moving things. But I think to, to so for example, to, to get clinicians on board or invest, you know, the people that listen to my podcast, right? Clinicians, investors, people in corporates, patients, entrepreneurs, the entrepreneurs are going to say and do whatever the heck they want, right? F- fine, because entrepreneur, but the clinicians are going to be a bit jarred by by bad language because they don't use it routinely in their practice and all these different things. And so, I mean, language is 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 one thing, but it it appeals more broadly, I suppose, to lots of different things. But I suppose the principle is you find your way, and I think I wouldn't want to be somebody who just said and did you know straight down the line unwilling to offend anybody just wants to appeal to as many people as possible but as a result you're bland i want to be someone that finds that boundary i want to be someone that that communicates authentically and you know naturally i communicate slightly different than this but it is you know, slightly tempered for, for, for this podcast, I suppose, but it's pretty much there. I just know that your listeners aren't going to like it if I'm dropping F-bombs constantly, <laughs> like, you know, all that sort of stuff. So I, I think, I think it's a balance, but what, I, what I'd say is know your audience. If you're a medical student on placement, conform, because that is going to be the path of least resistance to you hitting your goals. So just suck it up and conform is what I, is what I would say. And I wish I had someone giving me that advice when I was the medical student because I would say when I didn't like things and, and say things out of turn too much. It happened when I was at Health Education England. I I called things out that I didn't have license to really say and do in ways that, looking back, were not the right ways to do in a in a in a very corporate government arm's length body there's ways of doing things passive aggressively putting things into minutes and all that stuff is the way to do things at that level it's just not the way that i wanted to do things but i found my environment when i did communicate authentically when i communicated authentically it was like oh the entrepreneurs chime with this sort of stuff and actually to build something myself and actually be somebody who instills culture rather than someone who has to conform to it is actually something that I enjoy and that I want to do. So um, it's a, it's a journey. It's figuring it out. You find the line and you try and find it somewhere near where you're, where you're communicating authentic, uh, authentically um, and, and getting the most opportunity. But as I say, if you, if you communicate super authentically and that restricts all your opportunity, then you will just find your balance, right? I think that's probably the best way of saying it. At some point, you went from being 
Dr. James Somaru anesthetist to being Dr. James Somaru the brand almost. So at some point you shifted from that. And I want to know what kind of opportunities does that bring? And then also how do you start crafting your own brand? So you're not just, you know, XYZ, the doctor, but you're a brand as well. Good question. The and and thank you for for saying that as well and noticing that because I think the personal branding is a funny one it's something that i never knew as a term when i was even doing it when link i can remember when linkedin sort of first came out or first came on our radar as a as a as a group or whatever like i was i was really into it and i was really onto it because i was like hold on a minute here here is a platform where i can display myself my achievements what i want to be to create opportunity. That's literally how I saw it. I was like, from a career perspective, here is somewhere where I can, for minimal effort, maximize opportunity. And medics were not doing it when I was doing it. Doctors were not on there because why would you be? Um, because what career opportunities? And and like, it was it was it's been one of the best things that I've ever done. Like, make that decision really early because my even from like way back in the day. And you, if you go on my pro, if you go on my LinkedIn profile right and you go under projects you will see like because i've never bothered changing this you'll see like i did like a hypertension audit when i was an f1 <laughs> like all that stuff is on there like stuff that we talked about and here about blood cultures and stuff all that's on there um i just haven't really updated it with like actual achievements that i've done since but my point is that i maxed out my profile on there uh, really early on because it was a it was a way of getting ahead of everybody very quickly in a certain in a certain area right um and the 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 decision was it was because i i just wanted opportunity i just wanted opportunity as, as much opportunity as possible and it it gave that to me in really weird ways um people people started reaching out that were in startups because they by proxy thought here's a doctor on linkedin that's weird so that's cool like maybe he's into business like not a huge leap i mean it, it worked so i got involved in a lot of conversations that way and and sort of just got involved in that community and stuff and that's how it started, really. I never created content on LinkedIn originally. That that was certainly later when they changed changed up their algorithm and 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 the homepage and stuff and and how that worked. But then it it became about identity. I never. That's a lie. I originally my identity was was medical student. I hung my hat on being a medical student apart from in medicine and to other medical students where I had a slightly different identity, which was, I mean, different people will tell you different things, right? I'm sure some people thought nice. Some people thought not very nice. Some people thought this, that, the other, you know, but in my head, it was like I DJed a bit at the end of uni, right? And I was into house music and went to all that stuff. And we had a community of us that went to all those raves and just really enjoyed that, that side of life. And so that, I found identity in that within medicine. So that was always slightly different. But externally, I found this this medium that I could control my identity almost and start start moving it towards what I enjoyed, where I wanted the opportunities, all that side of things. 
So whilst I had a medical student identity, then I had a doctor identity, then I had an anaesthetist identity. Towards the end of that anaesthetist identity, it was the doctor that did other stuff. And LinkedIn allowed me to solidify that and set that in stone almost and put down that I did other stuff and I could seek other opportunities doing other stuff. And so it became this way of solidifying my identity. Now, when I ended up leaving medicine, absolute identity crisis because I'm now part of this accelerator. I'm like the innovation guy. I was a doctor, but I haven't really got that anymore. And so that was, it was a strange time for my own identity there, but I found it very quickly in being, at digitalhealth.london they gave me an identity which was helping startups and helping health tech and that's when i started to become the health tech guy i suppose in my own head of of like or a health tech guy in my own head of like that's what i do i do health tech now and that took probably a year of solidifying where i was and then that was at the time where you could then legit start creating content and i was never big on twitter i was never big i, I had it i did the occasional stuff on there. Um, Instagram, mainly for me, like my friends, like I'm not big for career stuff on there, but LinkedIn really, I found a nice platform on LinkedIn to do, to do content and podcast came out of it, started writing for Forbes. So just dropped all that stuff on there and just gradually just, just built it up, I suppose. Um, It's, it's a, it is a funny one though, because I, I've, I've, you know, I've not done a qualification in health tech. I'm not an honorary professor of health tech. I'm none, I'm none of that stuff. So I always found it difficult in the beginning to, to put out content because I was like, what authority am I? And I still feel that way a lot. What really you like, what authority am I? I'm someone that's had a lot of conversations with people. None of these ideas are my own, really. I'm just someone who is been fortunate enough to sit in a position in this ecosystem where I speak to the investment side, the startup side and the tech side and the healthcare side. I'm just fortunate to be in this position. And so I thought, well, what authority am I? And I'm like, well, I'm perhaps somebody who can speak with empathy of all those angles. I'm perhaps somebody that has spoken to enough people on all sides of the table that I can present ideas for each of those members of the group in a way that they might not have got it before. So perhaps I can tell startups how investors think. Perhaps I can tell techies what startups are looking for in a hire. Perhaps I can tell clinicians and patients what is actually going on in health tech, although I'm not the best at that one. Um, I'm B2B, you know, is it, um, what's the, you know, the digital health futurist, Bertlin? So he he's amazing at going, um, at going technology to to patients people he's amazing at that so i'm not going to compete there not very good at that but i'm good in the startups investors healthcare like i'm good there and so i know that the the way that i can communicate is to all of those groups and just started putting out content dude and just started saying things and doing things and having conversations with people And I suppose I found a way of doing it that meant that I was never really putting myself out there because I was always just doing interviews and putting those out there. And so no one can have a go at me or say an idea is wrong if I just have a conversation with someone and put that out there because I'm just 
putting out a chat, right? So, yeah, I suppose the the, the fear of of the hate and the negativity and the the haters and all that sort of stuff, I get around by just saying, "Yeah, not my ideas, someone else's." Um, but yeah, so you you got on LinkedIn really early to the point where um techies and entrepreneurs would look at you and be like oh that's a doctor and he's on linkedin how interesting and you also got on podcasting quite early because as you've said now it's quite saturated and everyone's got a podcast nowadays so what's what do you see as the future what are the next things that people should be looking into that not many people are on especially in this space again it's a good question i would just say it depends what your goals are. It ultimately just depends what you what you want to do. I think it's difficult to get a huge amount of attention anywhere at the moment, particularly rapidly. I mean, even people talk about TikTok, right? Even even that's just like just zoomed up in, in terms of popularity and it's, it's even difficult there now. But it'll be the next like augmented reality, social media, VR bonanza of like, It'll be something like that where it's not a podcast, it's not a YouTube channel, it's some like AR, VR platform or Twitter. You know, who knows? Who knows what, what'll be next? But I think if you're looking to capture the attention, you just got to jump on whatever it is early. And I think innovators and early adopters will will inevitably do this. So it's difficult for me to say, man. I think I think LinkedIn is still is still good for it, genuinely. I think there is so much inauthentic content on LinkedIn that for anybody that has license to create authentic content, you can do it there and be well-received. People, LinkedIn is very sterile. It's very, you know, go on your LinkedIn profile right now, scroll down and count the amount of posts that start with great to see and then talk about one of their own achievements. That is a huge amount of, of LinkedIn because that's what people are used to. And I'm not criticizing it. I'm just saying that's what that's what LinkedIn is. And so you can stand out with authentic content. And the algorithm, I'm told, looks for authentic content in order to push it up. It looks for conversational stuff. So, you know, I use emojis. I, tr- I, I write posts and then look at it. I'm like, I don't actually use that word in real life. I'm going to take that out and just make it, I try and make it very conversational because ultimately no one cares if it's great to see that I've done a podcast with Lord Adabawali, you know, nobody cares that it's great to see. What people care is that I've spoken to Lord Adabawali and I've never met a more values driven black leader in health tech in my entire life. I've not met many black leaders in healthcare in my entire life. But speaking to him, I'm humbled by how values-driven he is. He does this, 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 and this in his company, and he's he's seen these, these, and these results. That's interesting. But it's also great to see that I spoke to Lord. Do you know? And can you see the difference? So, I think you can capture attention of people by being authentic and having a genuine intention to add value to your audience. It is great to see that your company or yourself has achievements. It is, but it doesn't add value to anybody watching. If you add in what you've learned or what you gained or some nugget of information that adds value to others, that's the way content is going because people have so much choice as to what they absorb. 
So people are only going to absorb what helps them and what interests them and what entertains them. So you've got to be hitting one of those, in my opinion. I don't know if you've noticed this or if you even agree with me here, but one thought I've been having over the past few months is you talked about the the curve, the adoption curve, early majority, innovators, whatever. It seems like if you look at the people like the Gary V's, the people in business or other industries, their curve is two or three years ahead of medicine. So if you watch what they're doing and then just copy it, but do it in medicine, you're suddenly quite innovative. I don't know. Have you seen that? I'm pointing at the SOMX logo on my t-shirt. That's literally what this is. I've created, you know, I've, Jess and I, my partner in life and work, we are building a comms agency for health tech based on what Gary Vaynerchuk says in the morning and I execute in the afternoon. doesn't exist anywhere at the moment because people do think a couple of years behind. Um, So yeah, I I think there's absolute value in doing that. And, you know, this is something that's, that's right across healthcare. We still use fax machines. I mean, you know, it said it, it, it actually happened. Like we are that far behind. There is so much of healthcare that can be updated. Um, it, it just by definition, it, it should be, and it can be, and it is, and you just got to find where, right? I think there's a neat, there's a, there's a, there's a relatively straightforward exercise of just, of just looking at like all the medical devices or all the medical systems or all the medical whatevers and just putting down the year that they last changed. And you know, if you look at things like femtech and other devices and all this sort of stuff, it's like 50 years. Like what? Like how has something not changed for 50 years? It's very easy to then just go in and be like, I'm going to apply year 2020 thinking to this problem and let's just come up with something new and innovative, right? It just isn't being done because the systems are so difficult to to penetrate for loads of different reasons and, you know, stuff that is going to be far too boring for your podcast now. But that that's the life that I've lived in the accelerator world and trying to change this stuff. Right. I just think that a lot of that ground can be made through good communication now and actually getting your word out brand and lobbying and all that sort of stuff, which is the angle that we, that we go out with, with what we do. Um, and just setting yourself up to create the right content and, and all that side of things and use the media and blah, blah, blah. And I think you can make change that way. Uh, but yeah, no, I totally agree, mate. It's, um, it is it is a few years behind uh with with all that stuff it just that's that's what creates the opportunity and makes it very easy because you've got templates you've got templates that you can literally read in the morning and execute in the afternoon like honestly it is that straightforward the last question i wanted to ask was if you've had any books that have resonated with you and you'd recommend or even any resources that you'd recommend looking into for people with similar aspirations to you yeah good question you know, it's a it's a funny one. Books and resources. I I naturally want to find people. I read books. I've read zero to one. I've read four hour work week. I've read all that stuff, and it gives you it gives you as a as a as somebody that's been brought up purely in medicine. It gives you this like view of like whoa, there is this other world out there. There's all these things that you can do. There's people that think like this, and that's very comforting. That's nice. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed reading those books. Not that looking back, I didn't have a practical framework to apply them, 
but they 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 expanded my mind and, and they expanded what I believed to be possible by reading them. Not that I believed any of it was possible for me at the time, um, but it's it set me off on that journey. I think I always wanted role models. I always wanted people to follow. At the time, I didn't have any. I could have found them. They did exist. I just didn't find anybody that 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 had left medicine to pursue something that thought differently. That was an open communicator that that I I didn't find that person. I think a lot of that is available now. There are communities now like Tony Young's NHS clinical entrepreneur program, for example, you've got a ready-made community of doctors that think differently in entrepreneurship. That's amazing that, I mean, you can find so much solace in there and I'm sure there's competitiveness and issues and all the rest of it. But frankly, like it is a community of people that think similarly to you, that you can go on a journey with, which is amazing. So for people, you know, in that situation, definitely have a look at that. I think what one bit that I would really be quite bullish on here is you often won't find, I mean, maybe it is different now, but I didn't find any role models in medicine. And in fact, I found the opposite. I found people that wanted to suppress any kind of entrepreneurial drive, that wanted to suppress any thinking differently because medicine medicine is Stockholm syndrome. Like you fall in love with your captor and when you get to the top of, of and you are a consultant or professor, you can't see often of the people that I dealt with anyway, got to be careful here, but I didn't find anybody at that level that even thought I could do another job full stop, that I would do absolutely nothing. It would be a massive failure. And even when I was leaving, um, I sat the anesthetic exams once, obviously failed them because I had no interest in revising for them. Um, but then I realized I'm going to leave because this is just, again, like I was not using my time to revise for the exams. It was a massive effort. I hated it. Therefore you, you think like, this isn't the right thing to do because I hate it. So surely this isn't right anyway. So I ended up bleeding, but as I was, as I was, you know, in the run up to leaving, my tutor was really worried for me and like had a genuine worry you must sit the exams though, even if you're leaving. I was like, why? That makes no sense. Yeah, but you've got to do your exams. Yeah, but why have I got to do my exam? Well, you just do because like you do your exam. Like, it was like computer says no. Like there was no, it couldn't, it couldn't compute for him that I wouldn't do the exams, which I don't judge. But he's existed in that system where that's all you know. And I think taking advice from people that haven't been on the journey that you want to go on rightly or wrongly, you know, people might have started on that journey and gone back to medicine, then absolutely, you know, that is an opinion and, and a story that you need to hear. But I think to take direct advice, as in there are there are people that give wonderful advice where they force you to think about the answers to certain questions. There are others that give advice that very autocratically just say, I think you should do this. And it's unless they've had a journey that you utterly respect and admire and and have been through what you'd expect from somebody that was so confident to give you a black and white answer, then I wouldn't take it. And I, I and that's what I worry about in medicine. There are a lot of people that people might respect above them that are telling them something that isn't right for them. Um, I eat to stay in medicine because that's all they know. I'm not saying it's easy to leave. I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying that you're guaranteed anything. What I am saying is that there are a heck of a lot of transferable skills, despite what people say. 
you can take a year out and go traveling and get a number and get a job. There is no point as well when I did the the interviews anyway, where they say like, oh, you can't take a year out or two years out because you won't get a job. You won't get, a, you won't get core training. You won't get a reg or why? Like what's show me the thing where that's the thing. <laughs> um, but anyway, what, what I'm saying is that there, there are, there are resources out there that can open your mind. I think you've, you've just got to, at some point, you've just got to do something. You've got to actually do. Um, but read the books. Read Zero to One. Read Four Hour Work Week. I mean, they're all here, right? <laughs> I suppose the VR headset there. There's, they're all they're all in there. All of the books are in there. Um, and you can Google them, the entrepreneurship books and, and all that sort of stuff. You're not going to get any huge nuggets from me on that. But I would say try and find some try and find some role models and some and some people that have that have walked a similar path or been on a similar journey because I think you're gonna get you're gonna get a real richness of of content for yourself from somebody that can tell you that story and somebody that you can you can ask questions to. Um and I have a group of people that I do this for. Um that yeah a lot of people wanted this and and I'm happy to give it. So I do have a mentorship group that we we have like a, a lunchtime Zoom call every week or two um, for people to sort of tell their stories and 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 you know say where they are and what they want to do and and we all kind of help each other now, which is nice and and I see it as we're all we're all in the same game. We're all trying to find our way to that success point. We're all trying to muddle along and take out the bits we don't like of our lives and add in bits that we do. Like we're all still on that journey, right? There's I'm just a bit further down than the people in the in the group. But similarly, island groups where people are, are are further on. It's funny, like the lineage that I'm part of. So my mentor, his mentor is the founder of Spotify. Wow. Which I thought was very cool. But he said, my so my mentor said that he got in touch with his mentor, Spotify dude. Um because uh, it's Scandinavian, isn't it? Spotify. My mentor Scandinavian. I think it's something on this. Anyway. Um yeah, and he said, like, yeah, it doesn't change, mate. It doesn't change. Like, you still send emails at 4 a.m. You still wake up concerned. You can IPO and you'll still have all these issues. So unless you unless you're enjoying this journey, like unless you enjoy that up and down wildness of every day. Uh, you're in the wrong game, unfortunately. Um, yeah, I have my moments, but on the whole, it's 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 a good journey to be on, and it it feels better than it did to be to be a pure medic because I feel like for me personally, I get more joy from what I do now. Um, I'm jealous of the people that that got their joy purely from medicine because yeah, they're 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 enjoying themselves. Um, they have a, they have a, a wonderful life. Um, but yeah, I've I've had to be a bit more complicated to to find my happiness. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you have made it this far, that's really cool. Thank you. I would be really grateful if you left a review on iTunes. The next episode is a really special one. 